Today's scripture is Psalms 53. To the choir master, according to Mahalath, the Mastil of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So Psalm 53, it's a remake of sorts. It is a repetition, mostly, of a previous psalm that you will find in the Psalter, Psalm 14. It is like, or as if David decided that this song was so good that he needed to remake it, that he needed to reissue it. He'd already issued it in 14, and now as we get into the second book of the Psalter, David decides that he's going to issue this psalm again. And normally when a song is, is remade, or as people call it, a song is covered, it's usually someone else who remakes it. It's usually someone else who covers it. Like all the people who have remade the Beatles music over the years, again and again and again. Nobody gets their songs remade and covered like the Beatles do. Or like Aretha Franklin as she covered Otis Redding's Respect. For those of you who didn't know that, no, that was not original with Aretha Franklin. That was Otis Redding. Or like Tina Turner's remake of Proud Mary. No, that wasn't Tina Turner. That's Clarence Clearwater Revival. John Fogarty, in fact. Yet, this is not someone else covering David's song. This is David. This is David remaking. This is David, better yet, reissuing one of his more popular tunes, as it were. What the Bible said in Psalm 14, essentially it says again in Psalm 53. And therefore, it teaches us, I think, it, it reminds us of a very important biblical principle, and that is the principle of repetition. Repetition is good. Repetition is biblical. Repetition is helpful. It is helpful because we tend to forget. We forget how good and gracious God is. We forget how rebellious and sinful we are. And this psalm reminds us again 
that humanity is not as good as we often think it is. And that God is even better than we often give him credit for. I listen to people, even Christians, even Christians, beloved, talk today about the present climate of our world and nation. Log on to Facebook and everybody's an expert. Log into Twitter and everybody's a prophet. And you might get the impression, you listen to these people, including some Christians, you might get the impression that the world's problems are primarily intellectual ones. All we have to do is get people to read this book or that book, or get people to listen to this podcast or that podcast. If we can just educate more people according to how we think, that will bring an end to our social ills. Or perhaps listening to people, you could easily become convinced that if our problems are not basically intellectual ones, then our problems are basically political ones. And if we can just elect the right people or get the wrong people out of office, again, again, we would bring an end to the ills that plague our society. But when you read Psalm 53, or 14 for that matter, it is a sobering reminder to us this morning that our problem is not corruption in education. Our problem is not corruption in politics. Our problem is the corruption of the human heart. In fact, so corrupt is the human condition that it is foolishness and folly to think for a moment that it is not. That's what the psalm reminds us. The problem with our world is corruption of the human heart. And to that human corruption, there is only one divine cure. It is not an intellectual problem. It is not a political problem. It is a heart problem. And there's only one cure for a corrupt heart. And that's given to us this morning. But it starts with us understanding rightly the human condition and human corruption, does it? The human heart contrary to what we want to believe, is not naturally inclined anymore toward God. 
men and women are innately bent and bending away from God. We do not naturally worship him. We do not naturally worship God. Psalm 53 and verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Refusing to esteem God. What this says, really, is that we therefore esteem ourselves. And this makes us fools. Fools. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the fool. A lot to say about the fool. In Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 6, the Bible says, For fools speak folly. Their hearts are bent toward God. No, their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. And this foolishness, the Bible says, is contagious. It spreads. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Because it spreads like coronavirus. Fools are hard-headed and don't listen. In Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. They shouldn't call it a Twitter feed then. What should they call it? I won't say. But there is the common understanding of what a fool is and the biblical understanding of what a fool is. And this is an important distinction that we need to make, beloved. The common understanding of what a fool is is a person who lacks good sense, right? Is a person who has bad judgment. But biblically speaking, when the Bible calls somebody a fool, this is not an intellectual evaluation of somebody. When the Bible speaks of somebody being a fool, this is more a theological and moral assessment of a person. Someone who refuses to acknowledge and accept the will and work of God, who disregards God and his word. This the Bible calls a fool. And in the world's eyes, this person could be at the height of his intellectual powers. In fact, the Bible gives an example of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 2, we have the encounter of David when he comes in contact with Nabal. And the Bible points out the fact that Nabal's name means fool. The man's name was fool. 
Now, you think about that, and you probably should understand that that was probably not the name that his parents gave him. Nobody would name their son Nabal. You probably wouldn't even name your dog Nabal. But this is probably the name that he became to have because of his characteristics, because of his life, the way he went about living. But notice what it says about him in verse 2. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Again, again, do you see that? Fool here is not necessarily an intellectual assessment. The man had business sense. The man could make money. The man could walk around as somebody who was highly respected in the business world. But not only did he have business sense, the man had some type of romantic sense. He married well. He wasn't stupid. He met Abigail. She was beautiful. She was discerning. And he was smart enough to take her as his bride. And yet, despite all that, the Bible says he was a fool. Because, biblically speaking, a fool is a moral and theological assessment of a person's heart. And that person says, there is no God. This is a theological error that leads to an ethical and moral collapse. This is a theological error that makes human beings fools because then man becomes the measure of all things. Because then, it's not that we stop worshiping, it's that we worship what we perceive to be the best in us. That's what we do. We worship what we perceive to be the best in us. We worship the best athletes. We worship the best intellectuals. We worship the best entertainers. We worship the best artists. Why? Because ultimately, we are just worshiping ourselves. We are worshiping what we perceive to be the best of ourselves. Foolishness. And so we worship Michael Jordan. We worship Michael Jackson. We worship Michelangelo. I don't know why we got to worship all these Michaels. We worship what we perceive to be the best of us. 
which makes us foolish. Because we're saying there is no God. We become the measure of all things. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they instead became what? Utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And because he has to worship, he worships himself or the best that he sees about himself. I am the master of my own fate, then. I become the captain of my own soul. And if there is no God, then, and I am the master of my own fate, I am the captain of my own soul, and I become the measure of all things, then all things are permissible. All things are permissible. And there is no such thing, really, beloved, of right or wrong. Everything becomes subjective. Everything becomes conventional. And therefore, human beings do what is right in their own eyes. If Marxism is right, then it's right. If capitalism is right, it's right. Communism is right. Fascism is right. Humanism and secularism is right. Racism is right. If I am the measure of all things, and there is no God, beloved, then that means that a human being is not created in the image of God with inherent dignity. And that becomes the root and the ground for racism. Racism is rooted in a secular humanism. Any belief that one ethnicity or race is inherently superior to another is something that cannot square with the existence of a holy, good, and righteous God. Cannot square with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christians, Christians, beloved, who are racist? I, I mean, really, that's, that's a contradiction right there. That's a contradiction. I don't know how that happens, but for the sake of the argument, Christians who are racist are actually fools because they act as if the Bible does not teach what it teaches in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 and 27. From one man, or as the King James would say, from one blood, from one man, one blood, God made all the nations that shall inhabit the whole earth 
And he marked out their appointed times and histories and boundaries of their land. God did this so they would seek him. Don't miss that. He did that so that they would seek him, not their own glory, not their own understanding, but that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he has created them and therefore he is never far from them. You do understand that humanity, men and women, were not created to be fools. You and I were created to seek after God. But because of sin, do you know what the Bible now says? In verse 2, no one seeks God. No one. No one. Not only do we not naturally worship God, we do not naturally seek God. Adam and Eve, beloved, were created. They were created to know God. They were created for communion with God. They were created with a desire to seek God and know him more and more and more every day. When sin came in, sin destroyed those natural affections and turned those godly affections inside out. And rather than seek God, you know what we seek? We seek ourselves. Rather than seek the glory of God, we seek our own glory. And now, and now, and now, what does the Bible say? And now, God has to seek us because we don't seek him. Verse 2, God looks down from heaven. And what does he find, beloved? He finds that there is no one looking up. There is no one seeking him. And this is an important principle that the Bible reminds us over and over again, that God is the one who does the seeking. God does the seeking because we would never seek him. God has always been the seeker. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, Adam and Eve did not seek God. God came seeking after them. It was God who sought Abraham, and Abraham was living in a pagan culture, in a pagan condition. Abraham was not looking up or looking out for God. God came seeking Abraham. It was God who sought out Moses. It's God who sought out Israel. It was not Peter, James, and John who went looking for Jesus. It was Jesus who went looking and sought and found Peter, James, and John. Beloved, even Saul, who later became Paul, was not seeking God. It was Jesus Christ who came seeking him. 
He was seeking notoriety. He was seeking respect. He was seeking esteem in the eyes of others. Christ came seeking him. It is not the sheep who seek, it is not the lost sheep who seeks out the shepherd. It is the shepherd who goes and seeks out the lost sheep. Men and women seek everything but God. And will often use even God to get it. That's why churches is full. Churches are full of people who are using God to get money, using God, to get love, using God, to get health, using God to get prosperity, using God to get esteem, using God to get popularity. And this is why the Bible says in Psalm 53 and 3, these things become corrupt. They become corrupt because we make them an end of themselves. Rather than seeking God, we seek these benefits. And in seeking them, they become corrupt. When you seek love as an end, love becomes corrupt. When you seek money rather than seeking God, money becomes a way into evil. The Bible says these things become corrupt, corrupt. The word there, corrupt, literally means rotten, spoiled, or soured. It's like what happens to milk when it's left out in the sun too long. It becomes cheese and people have the nerve to eat it. Really? Really? Most of us, dare I say, have had the unpleasant experience of having tasted rotten and soured milk. And immediately we gag, and immediately we want to spit it out. So it is the human heart in the sight of God that refuses to seek him, but rather seek all these other things. Your heart has been left out in the sun too long. It has become corrupt, spoiled, soured. This is the human condition. And because we don't seek God. The Bible says, therefore, we don't call on him either. We don't call on him either. See that in verse 4. Human beings, we don't naturally call upon God. We don't naturally worship him. We don't naturally seek him. We don't naturally call upon him. This is another aspect of our depravity, refusing to call upon the Lord. Now, this idea of call upon God is twofold, beloved. 
The idea in the Bible when it says to call upon God, it means that you call upon God seeking his counsel, seeking his help, seeking his word. We do not naturally do this. We do not naturally call upon God. We call upon ourselves. And if we are not confident to call upon ourselves, then we call upon those who we worship. We call upon our idols. We call upon our heroes. We don't call upon God. This idea is we don't call upon God. We don't seek his counsel. We don't seek his help. We don't naturally call upon God in the sense that we call him into our presence. That's the idea there too. Is when you call upon God in the Bible, you call upon him seeking his help, but, you don't, but there's another aspect of calling upon God. It is calling God to be present with you. Call God into worship. It's what we do, right, in our invocation. What are we doing in the invocation? We are invoking the presence of God. Bless us, Lord, with your presence. Come now and allow us to worship you. We call upon you this morning. We call upon God to be with us. We call upon God to come that we might worship him. But since we don't naturally worship God, since we don't naturally seek God, it stands the reason that we don't naturally call upon God. We don't want God here. This is the corruption of the human heart. And this is what we see manifested in our streets every day, beloved. This is the overarching philosophy you hear spilled forth through your television every day. This is the overarching philosophy that you listen to and watch and read when you log on to the internet every day. There is no God. We don't naturally worship him. We don't seek him. And we do not call upon him. This is what we see manifested in our streets every day. But I want to be honest with you this morning and say that this is what we see when we look into our own hearts this morning. And for such corruption, there is only one cure. The only answer, or more accurately, the only cure and remedy for the human corruption is the grace and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The only cure, beloved, hear me, the only cure for human foolishness is the wisdom of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to miss that. 
I don't want you to miss that because David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does something really remarkable here. And he points us to something even more remarkable than David could understand. David wasn't the only one who remade Psalm 14. The Apostle Paul covered it too. The Apostle Paul covered it too. In fact, in fact, I would suggest to you that Paul made it a bigger hit than David ever did. Because Paul made it an international hit. He made it an international hit. Do you understand that when David wrote these words, the Jewish nation under David would have read Psalms of 53 and 14 as an indictment upon the Gentile nations. The fools say there is no God. Oh yeah, I know who that is. Those are the Philistines and Goliath. Those are the fools. Or that's Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Those are the fools. Or that's Sennacherib and the Assyrians. They are the fools. They are. They are the enemies of God. They are the enemies of God's people. It's the, it's the racists and the rapists. It's the sadistic and the Satanists. It's the witches and the wicked. And Paul comes along, takes this tune, remakes it, and reworks it, and indicts not just the Gentiles, but the Jews as well. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. This is everyone. It's all of us. For as it is written, and then he begins to quote David. Then he begins to sing. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, all, all have turned away. They have, have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul takes what David would have been pointing at the Gentile nations, and Paul says, this applies to you, to me, to everyone. This is the condition of all of us before God came and sought us. This is everybody's condition. None of us naturally sought God. None of us naturally called upon God. None of us did good. We were all fools, natural born fools, and would die fools, except God did what Mr. T said do. Have pity on the fool. Pity the fool. Lord, pity the fool. And that's what Paul says. 
the Lord had pity. In Romans 3, again in verse 21. But now, that but is the mercy, the compassion, and the pity of God upon foolish sinners. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Why? For there is no distinction. No distinction. All, all have sinned. All were fools. And therefore fall short of the glory of God. And yet, by his mercy and his grace and by faith in Christ, all are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's it. That's it. You got to exchange foolishness for faith. There's the cure. There's the cure. The bad news is that there is a universal corruption. And the good news is that there is a universal redemption. And David prayed. Didn't he pray in, in, in verse 6? He prayed that salvation would come. He prayed that salvation would come to God's people. And beloved, it has come it has come. There is a cure for your foolishness. There is, a there is a remedy for your rebellion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Jesus is not just the power of God. Jesus is also the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And now the gospel says to the fool, you don't have to be a fool anymore. By faith in Christ, you can be wise unto salvation. You can be wise unto eternal life. No man is a fool who is wise unto salvation, no matter what the academics say. You don't need a Harvard education. You don't need letters and degrees after your name. All you need is faith. Trust. Not in yourself, but in Christ. Faith. Not in who you perceive to be the best of humanity, but faith in Jesus. Jesus alone. You know what the Bible tells you to do? Amazingly. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, seek the Lord <laughs> while he may be found. What else you need to do? Call on him. Why? 
You don't naturally do it. Human beings don't seek him. Foolish human beings don't call on him. And yet the Bible says here, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his foolish thoughts. Acknowledge that there is a God and acknowledge you stand in need of him. And know there's only one cure, the man Jesus Christ. And let him return to God. And you know what God's going to do? God's going to have compassion on you. He is our God. And he will abundantly and overwhelmingly pardon you. Here's the amazing thing, beloved. Here's the inexplicable. Here is the unexplainable truth that when you seek God, you will find that he was already seeking you. When you call upon God, you will discover that he had already called you. I sought the Lord, the songwriter says, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. For it was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. You don't have to be a fool anymore. The Lord is here. The Lord is near. Call upon him. He will hear. Seeking. Even now, this morning. And he will be 